Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. My name is Chuck Smith, and today I am rolling out a new show that we are trying out. Uh, you might uh, be a little familiar with the title. We're going to call this one The Weekend Warm-Up, and what we're going to do on this show is kind of what we did in the weekly column that we ran throughout the Bundesliga season. We're going to hit some of the week's hot topics, uh, cover some of the biggest Bayern news that broke over the course of this week, and uh, just chat about some things uh, that are relevant to what is going on around the team and the game and the world. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this. We are going to uh, have one last weekend warm-up column on the site that will kind of close out the season for us. And uh, hopefully uh, you get to see my uh, predictions record because I actually finished up for the season, which is crazy because I was so bad at certain points. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll get that out tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night. We should have it released within a couple of hours. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this. So be sure to uh, check out this format and let us know in the comments or on social media what you think. But uh, let's just get straight to it. Obviously, this was uh, in many ways, a busy week for Bayern Munich, even though the season ended. Uh, just in terms of news breaking, we had a big interview with Sport One from Uli Honus and Ali Khan. Uh, we had some very interesting comments about Kingsley Coman's contract negotiations. Uh, Bayern Munich finally brought in officially uh, Reading FC left back Omar Richards. And there is a big rumor that Eric Maxim Chupomoting will be getting a contract extension, but not for one year, but for two. So we'll take a look at what that means for some of the younger players on Sabiner Strasse. But let's start with that Uli Honus and, and Oliver Kahn interview with Sport One because they hit on a million topics, uh, uh, many of them. Uh, very relevant to, to a lot of the things that have been going on lately. They hit on Flick's departure. They hit on the hiring of Julian Nagelsmann. They, they covered everything, and it was a really well-done interview. <clears throat> and uh, to me, one of the things that I, I really wanted to hear about was the club's financial state, because we have heard over and over again um, just – you know the financial straits that the club is in and, and obviously anyone who's been following uh, economics throughout this pandemic uh, Bayern Munich is was equipped to handle something like this but no club is equipped to thrive in something like this so the club is no doubt losing money they lost a huge revenue stream uh, not being able to fill the stadium not being able to sell anything in the stadium uh, and just overall, people are spending less money. So Bayern Munich, like many, many clubs and other sports organizations around the world, is feeling uh, the pinch. And in particular, Bayern is going to feel the pinch in this transfer window. Now, they have already signed Dio Upamecano. They had to pay for Julian Nagelsmann. So there are some things that they have already plunked down a decent chunk of change for. Uh, as we talked about in the intro, Omar Richards is another transfer in. He is a free transfer, so at least they did save some money on a fee, but unfortunately they have to pay him. And the salary situation is something that we'll also touch on in a bit. But 
Back to Honus and Khan's interview, one of the big transfer topics they hit on was Erling Haaland. And, and this has been batted around and back and forth and all over the place. Uh, do they need Haaland? Should they, should they make a move for Haaland, recognizing how great of a talent he is? Uh, when will Robert Lewandowski be ready to cede his throne atop the Bundesliga scoring uh, charts? It is a very difficult situation, but I thought that Kahn and Honus uh, actually handled the question about Holland very well when they said, how do you expect us to afford him? And uh, this year, more than ever, I guess that makes sense. Uh, now, the caveat with that response is that Holland this season, or this summer, I should say, would definitely cost nine figures, uh, whether that's 100 million euros or 125 million euros. Uh, Holland was going to cost someone a, a lot of money. Uh, and I don't think any club right now is equipped to make that kind of investment in a player, even one that has the physical tools and ability that Holland has. Uh, the primary reason for that is because of his rumored buyout, which is supposed to be 75 million euros, which could be uh, exercised next summer. So the summer of 2022. So why spend 125 million euros now when you can save yourself 50 million euros if you just wait one more year? And I guess the big risk for Bayern or for any other club is that someone will go nuts and try and Convince Borussia Dortmund that they should sell Haaland this summer, though Dortmund has been very adamant that they will not sell Erling Haaland. So uh, there is a lot going on with that. No matter when Haaland is officially put up for sale, though there will be uh, some very deep-pocketed bidders, probably the likes of Chelsea or PSG, Real Madrid, FC Barcelona. They're all going to come uh, looking for Haaland. So. Uh, while Honus and Khan were, were pretty definitive in that Bayern was not going to pursue him this summer, it will be very interesting to see where things stand a year from now. And once the club gets some of its financial bearings back and we get another idea of where Robert Lewandowski's at in his career and just another chance to see Holland put forth uh, or show the world his skills once again, I think that Things could be a little different, but we'll see. This is definitely one that we should be keeping an eye on. And another uh, interesting contract situation we should keep our eyes on uh, is Kingsley Coman's because Coman, more than anyone, he wants to be paid like a top flight winger. He wants to be paid like the best winger on the team, which he was over the course of this season. Now, statistically, Leroy Sané may have been a bit better in terms of stats, but the eye test and what we saw over the course of the Bundesliga season, including the Champions League and DFB Pokal, is that Coman uh, was simply just the better player. And I think Coman, uh, despite that lull and that slump that he experienced in the second half of the season, was just slightly better than Sané over the course of the year. Um, and it's kind of weird because I, I did not expect Coman to have the type of year that he did. Now, I thought he was really, really good in the second half of the 2019-2020 season. Of course, that was the treble-winning season for Bayern Munich. 
uh, Coman played a key role, and it, it had looked like at that point that he had started to figure things out and put everything together. Some of the poor decision-making that he had had in the past was all gone. He was making great decisions on the ball. He knew exactly when to attack versus when to cross. He knew when to pull it back out. It seemed like everything he was doing was working out, and he was putting himself in much better positions around the net to make things happen. And that's how he played in the first half of this season as well. He was really, really good. And I just, in my opinion, I thought he had finally made that jump. Like, this was the player that Bayern Munich had been waiting to see, and he had finally made it happen, and he was not going to look back. Well, unfortunately, in the second half of the season, he did, he did look back a little bit. He, uh, I would classify it as a bit of a slump, and, and whether that was mental or physical, I'm sure he was a bit worn down, just like every other player, by, by the condensed schedule over the past year and a half. Um, Coman was was still good, but it was nowhere near as effective as he was in the first half of the season. And I think you could say the same thing about Serge Gnabry, who really battled with his consistency all season. Uh, I think Gnabry, many people would have thought, would have been the best winger on the team this season, but he, he simply was not, and it's not a knock on him. He's still a very good player, but this season was not his best. But back to Coman's contract situation, the signing of, of Leroy Sané last summer was bound to create this type of situation. Sané, of course, came in with a lot of hoopla and uh, a lot of hype, and he was really hailed as the wing that was going to save things, the next generation Aryan Robin. Uh, so many different things uh, were, were put upon him, and in reality, he was not quite ready to accept all of that. And part of that was physically. He was coming off an, an ACL, in, ACL injury, which was, you know, which everyone knows really. I mean, it takes players, you know, at least a year or more to recover from that after they come back. Uh, that first year is always a big challenge. And I think we saw a lot of that with Sonny. I think he really did struggle at times, uh, especially with his confidence in the knee. And, and that did affect him. And of course, he did have some some issues with tracking back in the beginning, which I will say he got much much better at over the course of the season. It was very it was a very different player in say April than he was say in uh, early November. Uh, so anyway, uh, Sane's contract is the primary point of concern here because it is causing a player like Coman to say, I performed better than Sané, I should be paid just as much, if not more, than Sané. And that is where teams like Chelsea and Manchester United are, are going to swoop in and try and make something happen. Now, Bayern has already stated they're not going to sell Coman this summer. He's got a contract that runs through the 2022-2023 season, and that gives Bayern a little more time to deal with this issue. It also gives them a, another year, really, to add to their coffers and, and, and build up some revenue and see how they want to distribute that, whether they decide to use most of it on transfers next summer or, or on contract extensions for existing players. Uh, Coman will be one of those players who will be right at the forefront of that discussion next summer. Now, he is going to push for an extension or a new deal throughout the course of this upcoming season. And I'm sure we will see a million stories uh, linking him to English clubs or PSG or Spanish clubs. 
mostly because those clubs are going to be willing to pay for his talent. And by pay, I mean they will pay his salary. What the transfer fee would be is, is a huge question, but just in terms of salary, uh, some of those clubs in other leagues are, are far more liberal than Bayern Munich when it comes to player salaries. So uh, this is something we need to really keep an eye on. We need to keep a watch on because Kingsley Coman has developed into a starting player. He is one of their 11. If you had to pick 11, he would be one of them right now. So how this plays out and how this affects other players on, on the roster as well, uh, we'll see. But this is one we need to follow, one we need to keep an eye on. Another bit of the big news that we saw this week was the official announcement that Byron had signed Reading FC left back Omar Richards. Richards, of course, will be used as a backup to Alfonso Davies. Uh, there is some train of thought that Richards could also push up to play left wing if needed and could also push in centrally to play in a left center back role if he absolutely had to. Uh, that I don't know uh, if that would even be possible. Uh, I don't honestly know much about Richards as a player uh, other than what I have read. I did not study his Reading FC film by any means, but uh, I don't know about the versatility that we were being sold when it comes to pushing him to play center back. I think at this stage, he's really just an insurance policy behind Alfonso Davies, a player that Byron would hope would be kind of a like-for-like -like switch should anything happen to Davies, or if Davies needed to, say, push up to left wing uh, if there was, say, a slew of injuries or something. So I think that this signing... Um, it didn't make a ton of sense to me uh, to put a, a player that was very similar in age right behind Alfonso Davies. I don't know if this is a sustainable situation for Richards. How long will he be able to stay happy at this point in his career if he's playing behind another player who is about the same age as him or just within that same age range? I don't know if this is something that will be ultimately be sustainable. He may be a good talent. He might be a good fit. And he could be a great fit or a dynamic fit even if Julian Nagelsmann moves to a back three, uh, sliding out to that wing back role. But I would think that Omar Richards uh, is going to look at this situation in a year and think, maybe I should be somewhere where I can get on the pitch. Now, that's me. And if you've listened to me talk about this before, write about this, I am, I am an adamant believer that young, talented players need to be on the field. They need to be playing uh, a reserve role at this stage of his career behind a player like Davies, I do not think is worthwhile. If you were telling me he was going to be behind Marcelo or someone like that or David Alaba and learning the ropes for a year and then pushing out to a more important role, then I would say, okay, I, I can understand that. But I didn't get this move from his perspective. I get the attraction of moving to a club like Bayern Munich. I, I get the attraction of probably a better paycheck than he was getting at Reading. But I'm not sure that he's going to ultimately stay happy in a reserve role behind a player like Davies. Another interesting story that broke was the rumored contract extension for Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting, who we all assumed would probably get at least a one-year extension from Bayern to back up Robert Lewandowski once again. I think everyone kind of assumed that that would be the way things would play out. Chupo was obviously very, very good in his role just being a backup. Now, let's not overstate things. He didn't. He wasn't this huge producer. He didn't come out and, 
and be a game breaker by any means, but he was solid. And Hansi Flick was able to move him around, slide him out to wing occasionally, drop him to the 10, uh, even a little bit there. So he is a, you know, a versatile guy among the forwards, but he's also a player that I think we've read many stories about where the other his teammates respect him, the other players enjoy having him in the locker room. This is probably as much a signing for team morale as it is for team depth or, or team talent. Uh, it just seems like Chubo Moting is a, is a very good fit in Bayern. He seems to really click with a lot of the upper-end players on the team. And I'm sure that Bayern Munich, when assessing their striker options behind Lewandowski, who does not like to come off the field, uh, they needed to find someone with the right mentality, someone that would accept that kind of role. And Chupo Moting is, is probably at the point in his career where he's okay with that. I'm sure he wouldn't mind chasing a few trophies here with Bayern Munich rather than moving on to, say, I don't know, uh, some other <laughs> some other Bundesliga club mid-tier like Augsburg or someone like that where he could probably start but probably wouldn't be winning any trophies anytime soon. So what does that mean for the campus right now? Because obviously that backup striker role to Lewandowski is one that I'm sure quite a few youngsters in the past year, year and a half had their eyes on, specifically Fita Arp and Joshua Xerxes. Yeah, yeah, the ARP train. Let's uh, let's just take a a quick uh, moment of silence for that, I guess. So yeah, I am uh, still a believer in ARP, although things are not looking good for him. Uh, it seems like his confidence is crushed. It does not look like this is a player that believes in himself right now, and it does not look like he sees a future on Savinastrasa, and that's that's a problem. He did not have a good season with Bayern 2. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because I think this was a kid who came to Bayern probably too soon. And, you know, obviously Bayern believed in him. They made a big investment in him. I mean, he's got a, a salary that is probably higher than some of the first-team players. Uh, Arp showed the ability early on not just to be able to score, but to also push out wide and play wing. This is a kid who, when he came over, I, I really thought he was going to break through. Now, I knew that Lewandowski was not going anywhere. I was hoping that Arp, by this season, would have been up on the first team, would have been kind of a jack-of-all-trades behind Lewandowski and Muller. And out on the wing, I thought he could have been that type of player. But something happened in that first year with all of the injuries, uh, all of the sicknesses. He had a bizarre long-term sickness in between injuries. And it just was one bad thing after another. The poor kid was like Job with a million plagues. And he just could not get himself right. And unfortunately, that just carried over in the, the into this year. And while he had a few flashes of brilliance, uh, that team was dysfunctional in so many ways. It just wasn't good for him or for really any of the offensive players. They looked like a group of individuals for the good part of the season. In the games that I saw, they were just disjointed offensively. Uh, they had trouble with their build-up play, and, and oftentimes they just looked overmatched, and it was really unfortunate. They had done so well the season before, and things just did not click this year for them. And ARP, you could say he was one of the reasons for that, but he was you know, really like the entire team uh, really contributed to the failure that they experienced this season. But 
Arp as a player needs to be in, a, in an environment where he can figure out if he can actually do this. And I don't know if that's at Bayern Munich anymore. And given the extension with Chupo Moting, I think that Arp, if any team can take him, Bayern will probably have to eat some of the salary. I think Bayern would love to send him out on loan, maybe give him a chance to find himself, improve himself, and then perhaps come back to Sabinerstrasse. But uh, at this point, if they could unload him via a loan or a sale, I think they would do it. It's just going to be tough to find a buyer in this market. As for Xerxes, uh, Xerxes burst onto the scene. He had a lot of Bayern fans excited. I mean, he's a big, tall kid. Uh, he was in the right place at the right time in a couple of moments early in his career. And since then, his career has been as stagnant as he seems to be on the pitch sometimes. Uh, listen, this kid is, he is a talent. The, the kid, he's got a, a, he's got a tall frame, right? He's six foot four. He has decent ability in the air. And when he's around the net, he's generally okay. But his movement in every game that I've seen him play over the past year has just been awful. Um, he does not use his body in a way that allows him to take advantage of the size that he has. Now, he is not the strongest player physically, but he's got a six foot four frame and should be a little more physical than he is. Is it time for Byron to get rid of him? I don't know, but it seems like that's the way things are headed. His lone stint at Parma, Calcio was just uh, uneventful. He was not doing well before picking up an injury, which shut down his season. And and anyone that looked at that deal, there was no way that they were going to pick up that, uh, I guess, purchase clause in his in his loan deal. Uh, one, they were headed toward relegation. And two, it was just too much money. So there was really never any thought on my end of him coming, of him being able to stick with uh, Parma. But now coming back to Bayern Munich, I'm just not so sure that they're going to keep him around either. I think it's very conceivable that both Arp and Xerxes could both go, which would be unfortunate because I think these were two young kids who a lot of Bayern fans just had big hopes for, um, including me. So, uh, you know, these are two players that in the right environment, in the right stage of their development could get back on track. But Right now, things do not look good for these two kids. And uh, just, you know, to me, it's always a little bit sad when you see a young, talented player kind of lose their way. And I think both of these kids are really suffering with their confidence. And they're probably wondering as well, like, why am I going through all of this? Why? It's just been injuries and inconsistency. And I, I'm not sure if I'm good anymore. They're, all these things are probably crossing through their heads, and it's it's a shame to see it happen because I do think at one point, Byron probably looked at their campus roster and was like, wow, we have Robert Lewandowski, but we have two kids that we think might be able to be really good. And right now, I think that uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find many people that would still support these two, uh, probably other than me uh, with the ARP train there. So. Uh, we'll keep riding along the tracks on that one, but things are not looking good. So all of your train wreck gifts and everything like that, you can send them my way because we'll probably still be rolling on the ARP train for the next uh, few months or so until we figure out what happens. As for the rest of the week, I know if you're like me, you have been uh, 
watching Mayor of Easttown on HBO, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it since it was filmed mostly around the area that I live. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I know some people have kind of knocked the accent on it, but it's uh, it, it's pretty on point. I mean, it, it might go a little hard uh, in some areas, but uh, it was pretty cool being able to see uh, some really familiar spots to me uh, throughout the series. And I think the storyline has been really, really good. Uh, it's kind of funny, like the guy that created the show, Brad Englesby, was he was a, a, a basketball player here where I live, and uh, pretty good. His uh, he was a pretty good player. His brother was better. His brother was a point guard at Notre Dame, and now he's the head coach at University of Delaware. So he is a Martin Inglesby is a was a, a very ex. He was an excellent player. He's very good coach, and Brad Inglesby is doing pretty well for himself as well in writing this show. Uh, honestly, it's very well done. I think the script has been great. The actors have been really, really good at capturing the essence of the area and, and furthering the storyline and keeping it very interesting. I, I've been super impressed with this. It's really the first HBO show that I've been excited about in a long time. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, I would definitely do it. You could easily binge watch it. It's not going to be a long series for them, I believe, this Sunday's episode could be the season finale, although I'm not sure about that. But I suggest you give it a run, give it a try. It's it's a good kind of crime thriller. So uh, if you're like me, yeah, you probably would enjoy it. And if you trust my taste, which I don't know if anyone would admit to that, then you, uh, I think you'll be entertained by what you see with Mayor of Easttown. So I'm going to pump that up. Hopefully we get a good resolution to the series and it, it turns out to be Something that doesn't leave me hanging and makes me feel good about having spent my time watching it. That is always the uh, the big thing for me. I want to feel like the time I spent watching the build up to the finale was worth it. And uh, it's it's not too often you feel that way anymore. Obviously, we've had some some great shows kind of sputter out at the end, like Sopranos or Game of Thrones. But you also do have some shows like The Wire or Breaking Bad who really capture the essence of the entire show in their final episodes. And, uh, you know, I I'm hoping for that with Mayor of Easttown. So I'll leave you on that for the week. As I said at the beginning of this, this is our a new show that we're trying out. So uh, instead of having a weekly column on the site over the course of the offseason, we'll be doing this. If you ever have anything you want me to discuss or you want to talk about or anything, you could shoot it to me on Twitter or hit me over at the site. On Twitter, you can get me at the Barrel Blog, or you could just drop a comment in on the post that will accompany this podcast. So thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Let me know what you think, and we will see you next week.